Sometimes I am literally shocked. Shouldn't be, but I am literally shocked sometimes at how the Lord coordinates a service. Uh, When Brother Randy got up to read the scripture, he could not have chosen a finer selection than he did this morning to go with the message. And then Brother Roger has just uh, sung for us no song. I do not believe he could have sung that would be more in keeping and more timely than the message. God always knows this. God plans this. And all things are done decently and in order. I want you to turn with me today, if you would please, to the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. Seventh chapter of the book of Romans. And I want to read a classic passage of scripture from verses 14 through 25. The apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Rome. And he says, beginning with verse 14, For we know. Isn't it good that there's some things we can know for a fact? We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good... I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I've chosen verse number 24 for our main text. Paul cries out, O wretched man, that word wretched means miserable. O miserable man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I want to speak on the subject of deliverance from the body of death. Deliverance from the body of death. All things have a way 
of coming to an end. An old year is gone and will not return. Human life draws closer and closer every day that we live. What we have in this passage is a declaration of a battle which exists in the life of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are at war, spiritually speaking, every day of our life, every waking moment. Every person born into this world enters with a human nature received from our great-great-great-granddaddy Adam in the Garden of Eden. This nature is sinful and it is depraved. We're born with a sinful nature. We're born with a depraved nature. This is the reason why bad people do bad things. It is also the reason why good people do bad things. Nature controls our behavior. Skunks stink because it is their nature. Birds fly because it is their nature. Snakes crawl because it is their nature. The They do not have to be taught to do these things. They do them naturally. So with human beings, we're controlled by our nature, which is sinful and depraved. However, what happens when a person is saved by the grace of God? According to 2 Peter 1.4, he becomes a partaker of a divine nature. A divine nature. The scripture says he becomes a partaker of God's divine nature, which accounts for the change in our life. However, the old nature is not destroyed at conversion. I repeat... The old nature is not destroyed at conversion. It remains intact. Thus a continual battle between right and wrong exists in the heart and soul of every believer. Every believer has a dual nature. He has a human nature, but he has become a partaker of God's divine nature. Now this position I'm giving to you this morning is held by some notables. The last fellow at the end is not so notable. But there are others who are. This position is held by Dr. John Gill. It is held by Charles Spurgeon. It is held by Charles Hodge, a Presbyterian. It is held by Robert Haldane. It is held by John Calvin. And it is held by Dan Cozart. I want you to know where I'm coming from today. There are some with differing views about this. They believe that Paul in this passage is describing his life before he was converted. That the reason he was having trouble doing things he ought not to do was because he was still unsaved and did not know the Lord. 
those who hold to that believe that human nature is eradicated at conversion. However, Paul's language is not the language of an unsaved man. These are the words that came from one of the greatest evangelists in all the word of God, Paul the Apostle. Verses 12 and 22. Paul is speaking, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandments are holy and just and good. Verse 22. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Those are not the words of an unsaved man. They are the words of a believer. Unsaved people care very little about the law. They certainly don't think that it's holy, just, and good. It's like a prison, a prisoner in prison talking about how wonderful the law is and how great police officers are. A good example of this in our day and generation is this movement today to do away with police officers and to do away with the law. That's unsaved language. Another thing in verse 18, verse 18, the first part of it, Paul says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now, no unsaved man believes in total depravity. No unsaved man believes in total depravity. Rather, he thinks there's some good in the worst of us, if you're just cultivated. In verse number 24, the first part of that verse, O wretched man that I am. No unsaved man looks upon himself as being wretched, He thinks he's good as the people who go to church. He's not all that bad, and he'd never like it if you tried to call him wretched. Verse 25, the Bible says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those are not the words of an unsaved man. They're the words of a believer. They're the words of someone who knows the Lord. No man can call Jesus Christ our Lord. He cannot do that. Only believers can do that. Jesus Christ is our Lord. In the midst of such an inward struggle, Paul describes the turmoil and the battle that goes on inside the believer. He cries out for deliverance in our text. He says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He knew the matter would not improve. As long as he was present in the body, the war would continue. Thus he raises the question for deliverance. Why is it I try so hard to do what is right and yet I find myself doing wrong? And the things that I ought to hate are the things sometimes that I find myself being affected by. How long will this last? When will it come? How will it come? How will I ever be delivered from this body of death? How are you going to get out of it? How are you going to get out of it? First of all, identifying the body of death. 
the body of death. What does the term mean from what is it that the apostle seeks to be delivered? Deliver me from the body of this death. What is it that Paul seeks to be delivered from? It does not refer to human body intrinsically. There's nothing wrong with your human body. The human body, my dear friends, is a miracle thing given by God Almighty. In Psalm 139, verse 14, David the king said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Have you ever thought about your body? If you've got a good heart rate, you've probably got about 60 pumps at least every 60 seconds. And it pumps not only a few seconds, but a few days and a few months and a few years, and if you're fortunate to live a hundred years old, and that old heart's still churning, and it's still, there's not another pump in the world that can do that. God Almighty put that in you. He's not talking about the something bad about this body, and boy, I sure wish God would deliver me from it. He's not talking about the human body intrinsically. Our Lord Jesus had a human body. He said in Hebrews 10:5, "A body hast thou provided for me." The Lord Jesus himself was born a baby, was born through the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was a human being. He had a body. The purpose of the body is to house the soul. Adam was not made a body. Adam was made a living soul. And God created a body for that living soul to live in. Just like in you, my dear friends, is the real you. It's the ego. It's the real person. All in the world it has is a body called a human body. And when the body dies, the soul is liberated to go to be with the Lord for either blessing or for judgment. The believer's body becomes the house in which the Holy Spirit lives. Did you hear that? The believer's body. Whose body? The believer's. If you're a believer, it's yours. If I'm a believer, it's my body. It becomes a house in which the Holy Spirit lives. How do we know that? In 1 Corinthians six nineteen, What know you not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. It refers to the human body, however which is infested by a depraved and sinful nature. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, Paul is writing to the believers at Ephesus that you put off, that you put off. What am I supposed to put off? That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on, what are we to put on? The new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And he says also to the church at Galatia in chapter 5, Verse number 17, 
Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh... Now this is a prize verse. You need, you need to really ponder this and study it. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh... And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. There are many, many times we say, you know, I don't know why I don't pray more. I do. It's because there's a battle that goes on in your life. And one part of that battle comes from the flesh that says, oh, you've been so busy lately. You don't have time to pray. You've got things to do. And a constant battle goes on inside. Wake up on Sunday morning feeling a little, little blah, and we say, well, uh, I don't know, should I go to church now? Well, you know you ought to, but you don't. Do. Why do you do that? It is because of that warfare that goes on inside. You cannot do the things you would because we are living in a diseased, sick body, a depraved body. And there's nothing wrong with it intrinsically, but it is a human body infested by a depraved and sinful nature. It's the old man or the sin nature. It is not a residue of the sin nature. I read a book from a man. He's gone on to be with the Lord now in which he did not hold to this view that I'm preaching to you today. He held to a different view. I couldn't help it if he's wrong. I tried my best to help him and he wouldn't listen to a word I had to say but rather the entire old man is the sin nature. He says, put off the old man, put off that sin nature, and put on the nature like unto the Lord. This nature has a corrupted, has corrupted our body. It has condemned our body, and it will consume our body. Number two, we live in a body of death. Preacher, I was hoping you'd maybe preach something cheerful this morning. Well, how about preaching something real this morning? 90% of what you watch on television ain't real. Everybody wants to give you what you want to hear, what you want to think. God says my word is for every Christian. It's for every believer. It's what they need to hear. We live in a body of death. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world. And death by sin, so death passed upon all men, because all have sinned. God told Adam in the day he ate the fruit thereof, he would surely die. And Adam did die. He did not die the same day physically, but he died spiritually. And then at 900 years of age, he died physically. And we're the children of Adam, and because he died, we die. We live in a body of death. In 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-two, Paul writing to the church at Corinth said, As in Adam, all die. The only way you're going to escape death, my dear friends, is that dad, your daddy's not Adam. Now, if your dad's not Adam, I don't know how you got here. I mean, people are really interested today about ancestry. I want to check my ancestry. I had a person one time ask him, Brother Coase, I want you to check your ancestry. I said, well, all of them are bootleggers. What's usual? Checking my ancestry. 
No, I tell you, your ancestor is Adam in the Garden of Eden. He and Eve from whom, from whom all human life come. Now, we have an appointment with death. As believers, as unbelievers, we still have an appointment with death. In Hebrews 9.27, he makes it clear about that very thing. There was a man by the name of Anwar Sadat, who was the former president of Egypt. He said shortly before he died, he told reporters this, that he believed the hour of his death was set and that he could not die one minute before his appointed time. He was a Muslim. And yet he was right on that. We do not know when, we do not know where, but I can assure you this, it will come. I have a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. He's in heaven now. He was my friend down here on this earth who died recently, pastor of the Primitive Baptist Church in Tyler, Texas. Pastored it for 30 years. And I thought he'd pastor it for 30 more years. But you know what? There's a time and a place when death knocks on your door and there's no medicine in the world that can prevent it and there's no doctor that can keep it away from your door. Just as sure as you're sitting there, we have an appointment with death. Now, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 2, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. What does that mean? Well, it means this. There's a time to be born and a time to die. That's what it means. Job spoke of it in the 14th chapter, verses 4 and 5. He said, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Now, that's a tremendous theological truth. No unsaved person can lift himself up by his bootstraps. He cannot bring about cleanness out of uncleanness. Not one Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed, appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. When that time comes, you can't live any longer. And you will not live in your body any longer. Death prevents man from saying or going on further and saying, well, I'm going to live a bit. No, you won't live any longer. Now, that's an appointment. So, well, I didn't make it. I know you didn't. God did it. There's an appointed under man wants to die and it's going to happen. This appointment cannot be canceled. Look, if you would, in Genesis chapter 5. This is the obituary column of the Bible, Genesis chapter number 5. Genesis chapter number 5. Notice Adam. He lived quite a while, didn't he? Adam lived a hundred, this is verse 3 now. Adam lived a hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. The days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters and all the days that Adam lived were 930. They didn't think he was ever going to die. 930 and he died. Do you see that? 
Look at verse 8. All the days of Seth, and he died. Look at verse 11. All the days of Enos, and he died. Look at verse 14. All the days of Canaan, and he died. Look at verse 17. All the days of Mahalalel, and he died. Look at verse 20. Jared, and he died. Go on down to verse number 27. All the days of Methuselah were 960 and 9 years. He lived longer than any other human being. But notice, and he died. Look at verse 31. All the days of Lamech were 770 and 7 years, and he died. What makes you think that your name's going to go be in the obituary column of the paper? It's going to be there. People are going to read that and say, you know what? He's mean. He needed to die. Huh? Amen. Or they're going to make some statement. Let's say, oh, we're going to really miss them. Never did care too much for them while they live. But when you die, everybody misses you. Everybody talk about, oh, he was such a good person. You're going to die. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have a member of our church that's in this audience today. He deals with it. Professionally, he deals with it. Every day of his life, he deals with it. He's going to school to learn how to even do it even better, my dear friend. It's a real thing. Are you with me today? It's an appointment that cannot be canceled. The soul will be judged after death. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Man continues to live after his body bows to death because the soul is immortal and it will live forever. But while human life is going on, the soul is confined to the body. Once the body dies, the soul continues to live and will be judged. We seek to avoid death by staying alive. I think I talked to my son Mark. I'm not sure about this, and I shouldn't even call his name, because if I'm wrong, he'll correct me. He'll correct me. Uh, I thought it was the, 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 the Beatles that, that used to sing that song, Staying Alive. He said, no, it was the Bee Gees. Well, I didn't know too much about the Bee Gees. But I tell you what, staying alive. We seek to avoid death by staying alive. This is placed within us at birth and continues till we die. It's called self-preservation or staying alive. We do what we can to stay alive because we know death is out there waiting. We eat, yep, to stay alive. We breathe, Brother Wiesner, to stay alive. We exercise to stay alive. We visit the doctor to stay alive. We take horrible medicines to stay alive. We pray for safety to stay alive. We caution our children to be careful to stay alive. We know death is out there somewhere. And as we age, we're convinced of its reality. It's there. Number three, there is a difference from this body of death. There is a deliverance. I'm sorry. There is a deliverance from this body of death. Notice Paul raises the question in our text, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he follows it by saying, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Salvation of the soul 
does not cancel the appointment with death. To trust Christ as Savior is a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing. But that does not mean when you trust Christ as your Savior that you're exempt from meeting this appointment with death. Salvation of the soul doesn't cancel the appointment with death. Saved people die the same as unsaved people. You know, well, the Bible said Judas died. Also said the Apostle Paul died. Trusting Christ as Savior does not mean or do away with the body of death that we live in. But it does mean there is a deliverance in that death. In Job 14, verse 14, Job speaks of a change that is coming. He says this, If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change comes. Hey, you're going to have a makeover. Huh? Yeah, it's going to be better than a do. It really is. You've never seen anything like this before in your life. And what are we doing? We're waiting. We're waiting until the day of my change comes. Now, he furthermore elaborates that on that in Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 26. He says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. He's not going to see him in that depraved body, but in a glorified body when the Lord stands again in the latter day upon this earth. Our redemption will not be complete until our body is saved. Now let me state that again. Our redemption will not be complete until our body is saved. In Romans 8 verses 22 through 23. Paul says, We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Paul is saying even the unsaved people, they're having a tough time in this world, groaning and complaining. And not only they have that tough time, but we who have received the first fruits of the Spirit, we too groan within ourselves, waiting for what? Waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Now when you trusted Christ as your Savior, He did not redeem your body. He redeemed you from the penalty of sin. That's justification. And then as you continue to live as a believer, He delivers you from the power of sin. 
But one day, my dear friends, you're going to be glorified. He will deliver you from the very presence of sin. Our body has not been glorified yet. And therefore, we have not been delivered from the presence of sin. It is all over the place. And worst of all, we find it looming up inside in this battle of right and wrong from time to time. Three things from which the body must be saved. Let me mention these to you. Three things from which the body must be saved. My friend, if if he's not saying that in the text, I have no earthly idea what he's saying. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? How can I get out of this situation? That's what he's raising the question about. Three things from which the body must be saved. Number one, from the sinful filth and vileness that dwells in our body under which we groan and against which we struggle all the days of our life. Have you ever said this before? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why didn't I act differently? That's not something that just happens one time in your lifetime. It happens over and over and over again. Romans 7.23 makes that clear. In Romans 7.23, I see another law in my members. Now, he's not talking about the church members there. He's talking about the members of the human body. Did you know that God gave you one of some things, but many, many times he gave you two of some things? He gave you two hands. They're members of your body. He gave you two feet. They're members of your body. He gave you two ears, members of your body. He gave you two eyes, members of your body. That's the kind of members he's talking about. When he said, I see another law in my members. My hands do things they ought not to do. My eyes see things they ought not to see. My feet take me to places I ought not to go. They war against the law of my mind. I know better than that. But they bring me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. Three things from which the body must be saved. The sinful filth and vileness that dwells in our body, which we groan and against which we struggle all the days of our life. You'll not have to face this struggle when you get to heaven. Amen. Brother Stanaland, you don't have to face that struggle anymore. He's with the Lord. But until he died, he'd be the first to say, Brother Cozart, you're right. We struggle. We struggle. Why is it that you can just almost jump in a landslide on doing wrong, but you have to struggle to do right. There is a mortality that subjects us to age, sickness, aches, pains. Now, I know that may be foreign language to some of you, but it's real to some of us. Diseases and death. 2 Corinthians 5, 4, For we that are in this tabernacle, speaking of the tabernacle of the body, we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened. 
Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Every day we live, one day we can say, thank God to be at home is all right, but my home's not here, it's up in heaven. And there was times in Paul's life when he said, it'd be better for the Lord just to take me on to glory, but he's got something for me to do down here. There is the grave that we need to be delivered from. You haven't been to many funerals if you can't agree to that. There is the grave and death itself, for death is the last enemy. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four. This will happen at the resurrection. That will be the redemption of the body of death. This is when we will be delivered. Let me give you this scripture again. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, it is then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Victory, victory, victory. If anything speaks of defeat, it's going to the cemetery and being reminded of death. Death. But it's not final. We shall be delivered from the body of this death. Only believers in Jesus Christ will experience this deliverance. We look for it. We wait for it. It will happen. I'd like to close with giving you Spurgeon's view of this great experience of the body being delivered from death. I want you to listen to what the prince of preachers had to say about it. He said, Do you think we are to be forever in the drudges and slaves of sin? Am I to forever be a galley slave to my own nature? To tug for freedom and never escape? Am I always to have this dead man chained to my back and sniff the pestiferous exhalations of this putrid body? No, no, no. That which is within my heart is like a caged eagle. And I know the bars which confine me shall soon be broken. The door of my cage shall be opened. And I shall mount with my eye upon the Son of glory, soaring upward, true to the line, moving neither to the right hand nor to the left, flying until I reach my nest in the everlasting rocks of God's love. Boy, we ought to sing, Brother Roger, a little bit more than we do. I'll fly away. (laughs) Ah, yeah. One day it's going to happen. I'm going to fly away. You're going to fly away. And it is only then that we'll be freed and delivered from the body of this death. Spurgeon continues, no. We that love the Lord are not to forever dwell in Meshach. The dust may besmear our robes, filth may be upon our brow, and beggared may be our garment, but we shall not be so, 
forever. The day is coming when we shall rise and shake ourselves from the dust and put on our beautiful garments. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's stand, please, for prayer.